The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated. As much as they wanted, he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left behind. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Butch. Good morning. For those who are visiting, my name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy to join you in worship today. It's a joy to uh, continue our series called A Gospel Movement. We're in our second week, and it's all about trust. How well do we trust? How well do you trust? Before we dive into our passage, John 6, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's begin by asking this question. Have you ever considered what God could do if we fully trusted him? In a story shared by Nikki Gumbel, Hattie Mae Wyatt, a six-year-old girl, lived near Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia. The Sunday school was very crowded. Russell Conwell, the minister, told her that one day they would have buildings big enough to allow everyone to attend. Hattie said, I hope you will. It's so crowded, and I'm afraid to go there alone. He replied, when we get the money, we will construct one large enough to get all the children in. Two years later, in 1886, Hattie Mae died. After the funeral, Hattie's mother gave the minister a little bag that they had found under their daughter's pillow containing 57 cents in change that she had saved up. Alongside it was a note in her handwriting, quote, to help build bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. 
The minister changed all the money into pennies and offered each one for sale. He received $250 and 54 of the cents were given back. The 250 was itself changed into pennies and sold by the newly formed Wyatt Might Society. In this way, her 57 cents kept on multiplying. 26 years later, in a talk titled The History of the 57 Cents, the minister explained the results of her 57 cent donation. Just listen to this, friends. A church with a membership of over 5,600 people, a hospital where tens of thousands of people had been treated, 80,000 young people going through university, and 2,000 people going out to preach the gospel. Isn't that amazing? All this happened because little Hattie Mae Wyatt invested her 57 cents with God. So one fellowship, have you ever considered what God could do if we fully trusted him? As we continue our new series on a gospel movement, this week we will see the impact one person can make when they fully trust Jesus. This leads us to our big idea from our passage today. In God's economy, Jesus takes our finite lives and resources and produces infinite results. In God's economy, Jesus takes our finite lives and resources and produces infinite results. And we'll unpack this big idea through three points. Point one, see the people. Point two, own the problem. And point three, trust Jesus. So let's dive in. Point one, see the people. To start, today we're going to do something a bit different. Instead of beginning with our passage, we're going to start with a parallel passage from the Bible to reveal the backdrop of our passage. So beginning with Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 34, we read, Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he, Jesus, said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now let me ask everyone here today, have you ever OP'd? Jay, have you ever OP'd? Now, I don't know if I came up with this acronym or someone shared it with me, but OP means overpeopled. Have you ever overpeopled people? Stick with me. Early in our marriage, I got some yeses, right? I got some heavy nods this morning. Apparently, this is a thing. Early in our marriage, just as a car can run out of gas or a plane can run out of fuel, I learned I can run out of energy or juice. The year was around 2002, and Carly and I were invited to a Christmas party at a friend's house. So over we went to this friend's house with an hors d'oeuvre to share and a bottle of wine. And, and look, we had a great time. I, I had a great time for an hour and a half. <laughs> then I realized something was off. I'd run out of juice. I'd OP'd. I'd completely poured myself out. Being the extrovert that I am, I had actually 
made my way around the entire party and had a conversation with every single person that night, but I had nothing left. I was an, an empty. I was done. Meanwhile, Carly, being the introvert that she is, had locked on with one or two people and was still going strong. So considering my options, I quietly went up to Carly and shared this. Whenever you're ready to leave, we can head out now. <laughs> then I waited, and I waited, and I waited some more. Finally, as if I had no choice, I raised my voice and said to everyone at the party, thank you so much for everything, everyone. I had a wonderful time, but I've got to go. And then I just left. I just left. I went out to our car. It was dark, and I just sat there in the car all alone and waited. You see, friends, I had OP'd. I had overpeopled. Can anyone relate to what I'm talking about today? Yes. Yes, Bree, of course, I know. This is dangerous territory, people, when you run out of juice. Well, that's the backdrop of our passage today. As highlighted in Mark's gospel, Jesus and his disciples had overpeopled. They'd run out of juice. Seriously, look at this with me. In the early verses of Mark chapter 6, we read that Jesus in his inner circle had gone out preaching. They'd gone out healing the sick. They'd gone out casting out demons, and they'd become exhausted and famished. In other words, they'd run out of energy. Consequently, and this is beautiful, Jesus had pulled them aside and said, quote, come away with me. Come away with me. By yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, as I said, they'd run out of juice, and just as I'd retreated to a car, Jesus and his disciples retreated to a boat to get away. Now, listen, men, this is not an excuse to go and get a boat after church today, but just picture, picture that with me. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus saying, get away with me. Come find some rest. Only here's the rub. They hadn't gotten away. Jesus and his disciples had not gotten away. What do I mean? Well, as we read in Mark's uh, gospel, chapter 6, huge numbers, a large crowd, somehow ran ahead of them so that when they arrived at their lakeside destination, their place of rest or retreat, they were no longer alone. That's a bummer. Again, they had spent themselves all day doing ministry. And if I was in that boat, I, I kind of would have been speechless, right? And if I'm honest, I maybe would have been even a little bitter. But look at Jesus's response. It's so kind. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. In other words, even though he was incredibly tired. Jesus still intentionally treasured the people. It's though his character, the character of God himself, would not allow Jesus to turn a blind eye to the people. No, instead, we read he had compassion on them. Quote, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Who is this? The disciples must have asked. What is going on? They must have wondered, right? And now, given our vantage point some 2,000 years later, we know what was going on. Jesus was and is the great shepherd for whom the people of Israel had been praying and longing for generations. One fellowship, Jesus was and is the great shepherd 
fulfilling all these different Old Testament prophecies to that end, such as Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 11. I myself, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they're scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. Thus, in the backdrop of our passage today, we come to discover that Jesus, despite a grueling day of ministry, still saw the people. As the great shepherd that he was and is, he then offered them what? He offered them compassion. So let me pause here and say this. If you are struggling in any way today, Jesus wants to offer you his compassion today. Why? Because it's in his very character, the fabric of his character, to see you and to love you, whoever you are and wherever you are. That's what we see in Mark chapter 6. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he seeks, rescues, intends his flock. But there's a twist here. And here it is. If you're a follower of Jesus, he not only wants you to receive this compassion, he wants you to extend it. There's the twist. So what do I mean? Well, Jesus wants his followers both then and now to see the people too. The hungry, the hurting, the lonely. Even when we've run out of juice. This leads us to point two. Own the problem. Own the problem, friends. Now turning our attention to John 6, our passage today, beginning with verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? And I just love this part. Listen, he, Jesus, asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he's going to do. In other words, Jesus is sneaky. He's very sneaky. Friends, how are you at solving problems? Brooke, how are you at solving problems? Are you someone who runs into a predicament, guns blazing, or perhaps counting loaves? Or are you someone who just kind of dips out of a predicament, trying to avoid the problem altogether? In counseling language, you know, typically we're either a pursuer or a withdrawer. Who are you? How do you deal with problems? Here we go. A few years ago, Carly and I came to the brilliant realization that, yes, our kids could start doing their own laundry. This was a game changer in the Sorensen home. So when our kids hit middle school and early high school, we turned the washing of their clothes over to them, and this uh, ensured that they would have clean clothes, right? Including clean school uniforms. Now, I gotta be honest, this didn't go as well as we had hoped to begin. That's the truth. One morning, we're in our bedroom, and we hear this. Mama! Yes, Blaze, I can't find a school uniform. The only one I can find, and it's not even clean, 
is the one I wore yesterday, Blaze said. Well, Blaze, Carly replied, that's on you. And it looks like you'll have to wear a dirty uniform today. And guys, Blaze is here. Blaze is the type of individual who sweats and bleeds every day. That's the truth. And here's more truth. Every family has one of them, right? Maybe that's you. Well, that's our beloved Blaze. So anyway, he went to school in a dirty uniform that day. And in an effort to help Blaze later in the day, Carly went with our son to the lost and found. And I've shared this story once before. It's, it's quite uh, humorous. You know what we found. You know what Carly found. You know what they found. Together, they found, listen, eight PCA shirts, six pairs of PCA shorts, and I don't even know what that means, but eight PCA shirts, six pairs of PCA shorts, three lunchboxes, and two water bottles, all, all that belong to Blaze in PCA's Lost and Found. If you're counting, that's 19 total items. It's safe to say that Blaze, at least at that point in his life, liked to avoid the problem, right? And didn't want to take responsibility for his clean clothes. You see, we all approach problems differently, don't we? And Nick, Jesus knows this. Why? Because he knows us. He knows you. Returning to our passage, what's the problem Jesus presented to his disciples that day? Well, the problem was there were 5,000 physically and spiritually hungry men in front of the worn out disciples. That's quite the problem. 5,000 hungry and spiritually, um, excuse me, physically and spiritually hungry men in front of the worn out disciples. And just to add more complexity and weight to the moment, in that day, they often didn't keep track or records of women and children. So theologians believe there were likely between 15 and 20,000 people in front of the disciples that day. Just let that number sink in, Miles. 15 to 20,000 people, all spiritually uh, and physically hungry. How's that for a problem, Ford? So what did they do? What did the disciples do? Well, in the accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we read that the disciples asked Jesus to simply dismiss the crowd, trying to avoid the problem altogether. And if you're like me, that makes sense, right? Hey, just send them away. Jesus let them head home or to surrounding villages and find food that way, to which Jesus replied, no. You guys give them something to eat. Meanwhile, in our passage today, John 6, we read that Philip basically freaked out and went all bean counter mode on Jesus. Quote, it would take more than half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a meal? No, a bite. Exclamation point. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, just followed Philip's lead. He's like, yeah, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? In other words, the disciples essentially throw up their hands and say, Jesus, given the circumstances in our limited resources, there's no way we'll be able to feed the people. No way we can solve this problem. And with that, the disciples all failed the test. They failed the test, you guys. So where did they go wrong? Here's where they went wrong. In that moment, the disciples failed to see that the solution to their problem was not in what they had or did not have. The solution was found in who they had or who had them. I hope you see that. And who did the disciples have? 
Who do we have, Mike? We have Jesus. God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, we read in Philippians 4.19. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, we're reassured in Ephesians 3. Thus, when facing problems and predicaments in life, the test is to look beyond what we have to who we have. In other words, despite what the world tries to sell us and tell us, no, ultimately it's not more time that you and I need. No, ultimately it's not more achievements that we need. No, ultimately it's not more beauty that we need. No, ultimately it's not more intellect that we need. And no, ultimately, here's a zinger, it's not more money we need. No, our passage highlights that in life, ultimately it's spiritual awareness and raw trust that we need. Raw trust, which leads us to point three, trust Jesus. Whoever you are, wherever you are, trust Jesus. This week I came across the following story. A preacher asked a farmer, if you had 100 cows, would you give 50 of them to the Lord? Yes. If you had 1,000 chickens, would you give 500 of them to the Lord? Yes. If you had 300 goats, would you give 150 of them to the Lord? Yes. If you had two hogs, would you give one of them to the Lord? To which the farmer replied, not fair, preacher. You know I only have two hogs. And in our passage today, I just love how the little boy offered Jesus everything he had to feed the people. Our passage continues. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the boys' loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the boys' fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. Friends, two things are expositionally noteworthy here. First, the boy's generosity unleashed Jesus' blessing. With only five loaves and two fish, 15 to 20,000 people not only tasted the goodness of God, they feasted on the goodness of God. Look at the details with me. Everyone that day ate until, quote, they had had enough to eat. They had all had enough to eat. In other words, it was like a buffet. Did you catch that? Moreover, we read that when they were done eating, they gathered how many baskets of bread? Twelve. It's incredible, right? The point being, biblical generosity unleashes Jesus' blessings. Biblical generosity unleashes Jesus' blessings. Of course, in our passage, that's not why the boy gave, but it's surely what the boy and everyone experienced that day. And next, note the response of the people. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. 
In other words, biblical generosity also reveals Jesus' sovereignty. It reveals his sovereignty. When we bring our raw lives and resources to Jesus, it allows Jesus to be the master of our world, freeing our hearts from fear, a lust of things, and pride. Additionally, when we bring our resources to Jesus, it allows him to multiply what we've brought to advance his purposes, his kingdom, his mission. In other words, our generosity allows us to play a part in a story much, much bigger than our own. Our generosity allows us to play a part in a dynamic, multifaceted, multi-generational gospel movement. That's what we see here. Let me ask you, One Fellowship, would you like to play a part in a gospel movement, a dynamic, multifaceted, multi-generational gospel movement? I know I would. So friends, where does it start? Where do we start? Well, it's simple. It starts by having the faith or trust of a little boy. It starts by having the faith or trust of a little girl like little Hattie Mae Wyatt. That's where it starts. In God's economy, Jesus takes our finite lives and resources and produces infinite results. We see this in John 6 and throughout Scripture. Now, allow me to put skin on the bones of everything I've shared. I'm so excited for the One Campaign and all God's doing in our church because it's our direct opportunity to bring Jesus our loaves and our fish. Whatever we have and wherever we are in life, it's a direct opportunity for all who are part of this faith family to trust Jesus together and see what he would do. And that's the simple invitation to each one of us today. Last week it was follow. If you missed last week's sermon, I urge you, if you're part of our family, to go listen to the sermon on YouTube. This week it's about trust. It's God saying to Jonathan, to Dan, to Julie, to others, trust me. It's not what you don't have, it's what you do have. And watch me work. Watch me work. Allow me to pause and show you a new video. So trusting God can be a challenge for a lot of people. I know personally that I might want control or want to know the plan um, for everything. And while casting a vision is important, trusting God with the outcome is more important. And so the One Fellowship building campaign and project is very important to me because I can see the vision. I can see how it would help so many people in Charleston and beyond. But I think the part that's personal to me is learning to trust God, not just myself, um, but with our church community of what God has for us. We have this vision. We ha I can see it. We can see what God could do in this place, but we also have to be open to the doors he might open, um, understand the obstacles that might come up, and trust him all along the way in the process. Yeah, I think the one, the one campaign for me is going to be about having that open hand that's allowing God to put in it whatever he wants to put in there. And a lot of times when you do that, that becomes more like, you know, when Jesus talks about the landowner that gives him five talents and he comes back with 10. I think there, there, there is a, when you have your hand open, God often does bless you with more than you brought. And I think that's a lot of times God's favor. And I believe that 
us having this open hand mindset with the one campaign that we can give and expect more than we can ever imagine for in return through this building and this church and the community we have here. about this testimony, this little video that Michelle and Harrison put together with us is they just started coming to One Fellowship in Easter or at Easter. You know, sometimes in our own faith journeys, we sometimes think, well, I'm new to this thing. I'm new to this church. I've been away from this church. And yet it's not about that. In our passage, we see a little boy change history and we see the disciples miss it. So it's really about the prompting of the Holy Spirit in responding in obedience and in trust, seeing what Jesus will do. Friends, God is able. Some of you need to hear that today. God is able. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. The question is, do we believe that? Do you believe that? The boy in our passage believed that. Hattie May Wyatt believed that. Our leadership believes that. The invitation is to believe that today. Now, returning to our one campaign, as we've launched the campaign and invited all who love our church to pray big prayers, dream big dreams, and rally with us through radical generosity and trust to make this vision a reality, we've received a, a few questions I just want to address quickly before we wrap up the sermon. First, we've been asked to explain this, the pledge card. Paul, tell us how it works. Well, the pledge card, which we handed out uh, with the one prospectus, hopefully you receive one of these. If not, please pick up these items on the way out today. But on the front of the pledge card, we detail our long-term hope and dream for this church to build a lasting community, a flourishing city, and a gospel movement. And on the back, it summarizes the opportunity from a resourcing point of view. Um, specifically, there's this thing called the giving guide that people have asked me to explain. So let me explain that. We're inviting everyone through prayer and radical generosity to consider this giving guide and to give over the next three years above and beyond your current tithes and offerings to make this a reality. Specifically, if you feel led to give, say, 10,000 extra a year, that would mean you are at the 30,000 mark here. You got it? And keep in mind, as we've shared in John 6, ultimately it's not about the size of the gift that matters, but the heart of the one who gives it. Please hear that. For some of you, you may feel led and positioned to give a very large gift. And if we want to see this building and this vision come to fruition uh, in a reality, we're going to need some very large gifts. For others, you may feel led and positioned to give a smaller gift. We're going to need a lot of those as well. All we are asking as a leadership team is that for all who call One Fellowship home and want to see us flourish for generations to come, to pray uh, big prayers, dream big dreams, and commit to making a commitment. Commit to make a commitment. Our aim is to have 100% participation in this moment as a church. Next, when exactly is the Pledge Sunday, Paul? When exactly is that? It's November 13th. November 13th. And so on that date, we'll rally together and bring our commitments in the form of these pledge cards to the Lord. 
However, listen, if you already know your pledge, as some of you have indicated you already know the pledge, what God is nudging you to do, you can email us the pledge amount at campaign at onefellowship.church. Campaign at onefellowship.church. Lastly, if you did not get these items, uh, please make sure to grab them on your way out. Additionally, little Jay and everyone here, make sure to grab some swag, a hat, a shirt, a magnet. They're free. Someone in the first service who's visiting said, they're free, they're free. Take one if you want one. Now that's a lot of information, I know. So if you have questions, I'll be holding a Q&A immediately following the service on the porch. Read the materials, check out even the uh, webpage we created on our website and uh, come talk to me. We want everyone here to be inspired and informed. And if you're a guest, welcome. We want you to sit back as you feel led and just pray with us or just watch what God does in our midst. Let us end with this image, you ready? In faith, let us take the posture of the little boy Barrett of John chapter six, or the posture of Hattie Mae Wyatt from our opening illustration and approach Jesus with raw trust today. I'm gonna steal Drew's thunder because I think he was gonna use this next week, but I'm stealing it. We got a phone call last night or maybe two nights ago that a little boy in our church, I think he's under 10 years old, is so fired up about this campaign, he already launched a lemonade stand and has raised $67. Why don't we follow his lead? Let's take the posture of a little boy or the little girl, Hattie Mae Wyatt, and see what God can do. Let us understand that in God's economy, Jesus takes our finite lives and resources and produces infinite results. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To God alone be the glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.